Are you having seen your moments, like blacking out on where you put your keys, completely forgetting why you walked into a room, or even turning to jelly when you try to remember someone's name? Someone you've known for a long time, like one of your greatest friends. Maybe it's suddenly thinking, where am I when you're in the mall? Or taking a few... Hey, Cameron, how in the world did you get a 55-gallon bucket to put all your food storage in? That's a good question. So um, I took over my grandparents' house maybe three years ago, and they had, uh, I don't even know how many, like six or seven big drums full of wheat. And um, so the wheat has been there since like the 70s or something. I don't even know, but I, I'm sure it was still good. But I had a whole bunch of chickens. And um, so I, I fed that to them and I was always going to replenish those, those barrels. And so um, that was a, a good first step, uh, filling one full of scotch broth and then we'll <laughs> work on getting the, the other ones full of wheat and stuff. <laughs> That's a lot of scotch broth. It is. Yeah, I figured it out or whatever. So that one barrel can feed me for eight years. Uh, oh <laughs> I am. That is awesome. <laughs> it, it's crazy because like I've been looking for easy ways to, to get into to food storage and everything. And, and so, yeah, I've been um, pouring over your stuff, over Nancy's stuff and, and just really getting going. On, on things. I mean, like I've, I've had food storage and I have some of my case goods and stuff, but like I, you can only survive on mandarin oranges so much before it, it gets old. And right. so I, I'm looking for more um, substance problem. to my food storage and, and good cheap ways. Like, I think that was what sold me. It was like, you can feed a family of four on, on this for a hundred bucks. And I'm like, uh, for a year. Old. <laughs> yeah. I, I can totally do that. Yeah. So for my ward, um, I don't have any specific calling, but I, we live in townhomes and in our townhomes, there are lots and lots of young families. And I have, I just had the impression that, that they needed to be prepared, but 
it's it's funny you can't work under panic circumstances because people freeze and so in order to get them to you know in order to help people feel like they can do it there has to be a simple method so i've just been kind of so it's just been okay what is good how can people get motivated and when i came across across scotch broth i was like a hundred dollars and they they can have that in their storage and it doesn't mean that that is their that they're like luxury living it just means that they can totally live and and they're secure at the moment and then they can build upon it Mm -hmm. and um so we've had lots of board members do it too i was like it's it's totally i feel so grateful i feel excited i love food storage so it always mm-hmm. makes me happy when anyone gets it i'm like yay do you have water stored to go with all that scotch broth <laughs> yeah that's another thing. i do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that everyone does but i do yeah <laughs> yeah that's the next thing that i'm i'm really looking into and, and everything is the the water storage and um just kind of diversifying into some of the the things to mix it up, you know, like with bullion and, and, and different things like that. Um, but yeah, water storage, that's a, that's a huge one. <laughs> That'll be my focus in February, Cameron. Yeah. Okay. And my site is February is water. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. Yeah. What, what's like, if you could, um, cause I, I live in a town of like 200 people. I mean, there's plenty of space. What's, what's a good cheap way to at least get started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you drink pop? Uh, not a lot, but like lots of like juice and stuff like that. Apple juice, orange juice, things like that. Wash the bottles out, mm-hmm. fill them with water. Don't recycle. Well, don't put them in a recycle bin. You're going to recycle them mm-hmm. by washing the bottles out and filling them with water. Mm-hmm. So and if, if you have, are you on a well with water or are you mm-hmm. on a municipal water? Yeah, just a well. Okay. Then you'll need to treat your water. If it was municipal water, you wouldn't need to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, that's need to, to uh, run the well if the power goes out? I don't. I, I had a backup source, but then that, <laughs> that, that dried up. So uh, yeah, I need a, a, a good thing to, to run the well if, if that does. Yeah, because if you have your own well, then all you really need is power to power the, you know, power that well in one way or another. Even if it's a hand crank, a hand pump, Mm-hmm. Okay. You can get those for your well, and then you don't have to worry about storing hundreds of gallons of water like I have. You can just, you you have your water, it's in the ground, you just have to be able to get to it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. I'm excited for February then. <laughs> yeah, but we have our water is in 55 gallon barrels and in seven gallon aquatainers and six gallon water things and five gallon cubes and one gallon jugs. And I mean, everything down the whole spectrum, we have, you know, I am a firm believer in multiple redundancies. Mm-hmm, for sure. Right? Yeah. Because multiple even ways. if it's not just for you, it, it might be for other people mm-hmm. or one of the things might um some natural disaster takes out one of the the storages that you got like yeah, yeah there's lots well, of different reasons cases of water bottles another thing that would probably be a good reason for you to have your own water storage is what would happen if the water in in the aquifers and stuff was contaminated that's true yeah then you wouldn't be able to use it um i would also encourage you to have some kind of water purification system mm-hmm. like we have a berkey so I can, I can put muddy water into a Berkey and I can get drinkable water out of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have one too. They, they rock. Yeah, I would probably pre-filter 
<laughs> so that I wasn't putting mud into the Berkey filters. <laughs> but I, I, you know, yeah, I, I, as long as I could find some water, if once I run out of what I have stored, I could do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good tips. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll dive into that and see what my budget's got and what priorities I want to do. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the scotch broth, I might be chomping on it dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be a little tough but at least you won't go hungry right yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you have to bread. suck on it <laughs> yes yeah, like elven bread <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep, for sure <sighs> all right let's dive into chapter two this one is oh, this one's huge um we did end up on on time in the the first group but we left a lot of stuff kind of up in the air and, and things so Hopefully we'll be able to, to hit on all the, the major points here. Um, so first off, just throwing it out there for everyone. What was something new, um, either a concept, a person, a word, what was something new that, that stood out to you this week that you've never heard or, or known of before? I'll go. I didn't know that, uh, that Sarah was the object of proverbs 31 woman right? yeah i didn't know that either oh, where is that at what page is that on do you happen to have it oh oh i found it in the My middle book of is still not in so i have that book yeah okay Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so I have to remember that there's different versions of the book out there that people are working off of. Um, but yeah, for, for those of you that, that have the hard copy, uh, the middle of page 60, right in between um, those two paragraphs. Yeah, there. they're probably in mid-month next month. So hopefully that's... Mm -hmm. Oops, yep. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Sorry, my internet connection is not great. So I didn't realize I was talking over you. Oh, no, you're totally fine. <laughs> the nature of Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get used to it. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? What was something new that you hadn't heard before? Or um, that was the I have something. I thought it was interesting how Abraham, um, the early life of Abraham was so similar to Joseph Smith's. That parallel was really interesting to me. I totally appreciated it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this chapter really rings it out. Um, we had it in a, in previous chapters and stuff, but um, I, I would love if anybody uh, has time to, to do that, to pull out everything that the author compares Abraham to Joseph Smith and, and kind of bullet point that out. That would be an awesome uh, side homework assignment if anybody wants to take that on. Uh, I, I think that the, the parallels are just uncanny. I mean, almost their whole life line item to is, is a parallel of each other. Right down to jail, being in jail, right down to, I mean, there was persecutions. It was just, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and this is just the stuff that we have heard or uh, recent stuff. There's probably even more that we don't even know of the story that, that would tie in and, and be parallels. The thing that jumped out to me when I even first started reading this chapter is um, how it was talking about um, that 
ever since the days of Abraham when the house of Israel has been in trouble and they have remembered Abraham and the covenant that God made with him, right? That the Lord came in and rescued them and that they, they heard him when they were in bondage. God heard their groaning and remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And, and, and there were like multiple stories of this right there at the very beginning. And I've been thinking a lot about the political landscape of what's been happening and all the things that we know that are coming. And what has our prophet been telling us to study? We're supposed to study the promises made to covenant Israel. Why? So that we can remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then we can ask him for that same deliverance that all these times listed out in this beginning of this chapter, he's coming to their rescue. He will do that for us. But what do we have to do? You know, mm. what's our part of that covenant? But remember that God has made this covenant to Israel and we're part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Cameron, I thought something very interesting early on in this chapter was Abraham being in jail and how he preached to the jailer. Uh, it was so much like uh, his descendant, Joseph, who was sold into Egypt and how he preached to the jailers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joseph Smith did also. Now, not only some of them didn't listen, but, but mm -hmm. they all preached to the jailers. And so even though they were in jail, they were still doing God's work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that an interesting parallel, especially as we go to um, kind of our, our first topic here, page 58 and 59. Um, it's the section that's called Abram, Abram. So um, uh, just reading a couple lines here, it says that Abram's miraculous deliverance on the altar in Ur may well be history's most prophetic similitude of the second coming. So not his sacrifice of Isaac, but Abram's um, the, the sacrifice of Abram on, on the altar is a type and shadow for the second coming. I find that very interesting. It stood out to me a lot. And then right across the page from it, it says at the very moment of the seeming greatest triumph of the forces arrayed in their sanctimonious might to destroy Zion below Zion above broke through triumphant. And so shall it happen again. So I would like to, to kind of direct our, our conversation there in what ways is that specific event, that sacrifice of, of Abraham, a similitude of the second coming? What are, what are the parallels? What event is it talking about? Is it uh, Christ actually um, coming down for his second coming there in Jerusalem? Or, or what other event uh, would that be paralleling? Who are the, the figures representing in the type and similitude there? What, what say ye? Well, I can add something here. I thought it was it was new to me that Enoch was kind of involved in this. So I thought, you know, maybe part of this um, militude or whatever um, could also be a part of like Zion from heaven, Enoch's people coming back and coming to be with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which is part that. of it, obviously, but I just I thought it was cool that Enoch was part of this as well. That was new to me also, but very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
for sure. Um, let me try again a, a screen share, see if it works better than last time. <laughs> um, bring up this. And while you're bringing that up, um, I, I'll i just add that I, I think that one of the notes I put in my, um, in the, well, whatever, in the side notes of my, of my book, um, was just that we believe in a fourth watch God. So I think that we will find ourselves in the very like moments where we can give up all hope and there's no hope for us um, except for our savior. And I think that's just kind of, kind of what he does, right? Like we're just, it, we're in the very last moments. There doesn't seem to be a way out, but all of a sudden there is, and it's miraculous and it's big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a, a similar pattern to all of the things that are talked about in this chapter, aren't it? Like mm -hmm. um, that uh, with Sarai's infertility or um, with with this miraculous deliverance here and stuff, it, it's when you have to go to your knees and there's no other possible way out or, or solution to it that you have to turn to God with that level of yearning is is what brings the, the blessings of, of Abraham down into our lives kind of a thing. I, I find that that's a, a very common theme throughout um, this, this chapter. Yeah. Um, so I, I started creating this for the last group and then I forgot to go back to it. And so I, I'm, I just kind of filled out some ideas that, that I put together, but um, I would like to see if any of you have any other ideas or things to change, add to. Um, so in the left-hand side is the uh, Abram on the altar, that sacrifice, versus the second coming. What could possibly be a similitude of that? Because it says that um, it's may well be history's most prophetic similitude of the second coming. Um, uh, the first column there being when the Jews are saved, when Christ actually comes and, and splits the Mount of Olives kind of a thing. The second being prior to that, when the church... Uh, more specifically, like the church in in Utah, kind of a thing, uh, could be saved from the Antichrist or or things like that. Um, but if you guys have any thoughts, changes, uh, insights that that might play out in that, I, I I don't know. This last time reading this book, this really stood out to me that I needed to study this and, and kind of figure it out for myself. But um, just like to get your guys's insights into. Um, how that might be a type for our day. And um, I, I think it's interesting that we don't really get this account anywhere except for um, modern um, uh, modern uh, revelations and stuff. It's not like in the King James Version as much. This is uh, new insights uh, to this story because it's for our day. It, it's a type and shadow for the second coming, uh, a prophetic witness there. Anyway, any ideas, thoughts? I'd love to hear your comments. And if I'm all wet, you know, tell, call me out on it. <laughs> I think this is a good insightful list because my, my brain is, uh, had a hard time going, uh, seeing, <laughs> seeing how they're similar, to be honest with you. It's like, yeah what you know and so it was nice to have it written out by character so this is nice thank you mm -hmm. yeah um i agree i think it looks really good i think it's one of these things that you have to ponder on and think about 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to scroll through my notes real quick to see if I could add anything else. But yeah, I'm not like off the cuff, super fast mm-hmm. with this. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that that's where I kind of caught the other group off guard too. They're like, uh, I don't know. You haven't given us time to think about this. It needed to be like a homework assignment <laughs> so we could ponder on it for a week. Um, Cameron, the one thing I'm looking at your um, <clears throat> thing here in our timeline, uh, at this point in time, uh, you, where you've got the Wasatch wake up, mm-hmm. we've I don't know if you would count the last earthquake as the Wasatch wake up or not, but if we're moving into famine, I think everybody may know, but maybe not because my husband deals with water things all the time. And so we all are very nervous about our water situation. We could be headed into a deep famine without the water that is not coming at all this year, at least in Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we've, our, our uh, state president said, let's not wait till June to pray for water. Let's start <laughs> praying for water right now. Yeah. Anyway, that's just something to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's not much snow on the mountains. It, there's none down here. We're really hurting in southern Utah. We we have a little bit, but just at the very top. You know, I, I live near yeah. Mount Timpanogos, and I look at it you know, almost every day, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is about the amount of snow we have in November usually, and here we are in mid-January. It's not coming down nearly as far as it should. Right. So it, it's going to be a dry one if this summer if we don't get more water. Mm-hmm. I I hike a lot and yesterday um, the place that I go regularly generally has about four feet and just yesterday six inches so yeah didn't even need snowshoes so yeah kind of crazy turning, huh yeah for sure and like you know, this last year, wasn't there that, that huge windstorm that, that whipped through uh, Utah, Idaho, and, and just did lots of damage that we haven't really seen uh, before in a, in a single storm like that for, for quite a while, uh, if at all. And I, I mean, we're, it's a, a few years of completely new experiences that, that are really pushing our faith and, and uh, kind of preparing us, I, I, for lack of a better word, like, we're, we're seeing where our weaknesses are and, and looking to fortify those, you know, as, as President Nelson said in his talk, to, to identify, fortify, and, and then never stop preparing and everything. Um, all right, so moving back to our Um, Let's go to... Um, the actual sacrifice, uh, the, the, the penalty of kingship. I found that that was an interesting uh, topic or insight that I've never heard about, but it says there on page 55 under the, wow, that's a long section. I guess it's the very first section of the chapter, but kind of towards the end of it, um, that it was the ancient penalty of kingship for both Egyptian and Mesopotamian kings. 
a penalty usually paid by the means of a substitute sacrifice who was often a foreigner. It's where the king would lay down his life for his people in a ceremony to propitiate the gods. And I, I find that very <laughs> interesting that the law of sacrifice is, is meant to be a sacrifice of self, right? It, you don't just rope in somebody else <laughs> and, and pull in a foreigner kind of a thing. Um, but I would like to talk about the law of sacrifice and um, the substitutes, because sometimes we do have proxy work that, that we do with our covenants and, and laws. But what, what makes this one bad and what makes um, other sacrifices good uh, if there are substitutes? What are, what are your all thoughts? Just in the next paragraph, I have marked Zion's evil counterfeit and all its pomp and ceremony was about to execute the one righteous man whom God had sent to bless the world and reestablish on the earth the true Zion. So, and then it goes on to talk about the only true sacrifice is their savior. Um, but we can learn from, from the opposite, you know, um, that those, those, It's the counterpart or the counterproductive counterpart, I guess. Mm -hmm. Opposite. Yeah, it's always taking the, uh, a true principle and kind of twisting it a little bit and and making it a, a, an opposite thing that actually brings people away from, from God kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Cameron, a true sacrifice is something that you give. Like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. But to have a substitute for a king to be sacrificed, <laughs> that didn't make any sense because it's, that's a murder. That's not a sacrifice. That's not a, you're not giving of yourself. And Abraham wasn't giving of himself then. And uh, so it, as a world, the world, And uh, the Lord saw fit to answer his prayers. Um, I like the author's little side note there on some ways, you know, was Sariah in the, in the audience? Was she praying for Abraham? Mm -hmm. what, what about his mother? Was she there finally praying for him? And, you know, I don't know. It, but it, it was quite a scene, and it certainly made you um, understand the picture that we have all looked at for years and years in our scriptures and kind of wondered but not been quite sure how everything worked. Mm -hmm. I, I just thought it was a excellent, the, the highlight of the whole chapter to me was that portion of the chapter mm -hmm. yeah for sure and if we're pulling a, a modern equivalent to it and everything so take um the the king uh, nimrod here and and pull a modern equivalent of, of a president of a country or a ruling class and that they are going to do a a big sacrifice in front of let's see this one was nine hundred thousand people uh we have uh 
a huge vast audience and this is going to be on display in front of lots um a sacrifice to um increase the the power of the ruling elite as it says on page 54 uh, we see some very interesting modern parallels don't we i mean obviously our, our political climate and everything in in these days we have our rulers who who create or carefully orchestrate these carefully staged rights to increase the power of the ruling elite they're always wanting more power and and it goes right in the face of of a true zion and um, we have this massive um, gathering. Say this was to happen again, uh, uh, like this story, and you have all these people gathered, and then an angel of the presence comes down, earthquake, fire, boom. I mean, <laughs> if that doesn't convert you and make you believe in, in a true God that answers prayers, I don't know what would. This is like stuff that's only in science fiction and things. But, but here we have an actual uh, testimony of the, the power of God, that the, the covenants made to the fathers, the patriarchal order of things, is able to, to produce great miraculous events and miracles and, and saving um, ordinances and, and, and events there. Um, anyway, I, I find lots of interesting parallels to our day. I, I wonder if we will be experiencing this level of, of things as the, the Antichrist appears on the scene and, and as we experience the abomination of desolation and uh, all of the, the fun tribulations that are going to happen. Um, I, I think that, that Abraham truly is a, a, a pattern and a type for our day. And we are starting to have his writings just in the nick of time in order to prepare ourselves for the events that are coming. Uh, that's the reason that we have prophecies, the scriptures and, and things to give us hope that uh, we can endure and to give us types and patterns so that we can fully rely on, on God to, to help carry us through and, and save us in the end when there's literally no other place to turn. Because, I mean, look around at, at the people, um, neighbors, friends, uh, family, and, and things that, I mean, hope is is kind of <laughs> waning in in lots of people's eyes uh, political wise uh, health wise just everything uh, if you didn't have some of these strong hard testimonies and witnesses of god's um prevailing in our lives what what do you have you have fear and and trembling uh, because <laughs> you wouldn't know what's going on but, but how grateful I am to, to be in the latter days in uh, Christ to church that, that gives us so many different witnesses uh, of God's miraculous power for, for all of these events that are unfolding. Um, yeah. friend, the other thing that really struck me about this when we, I read it was Abraham's father, obviously, didn't protect him, um, was willing to go along with the sacrifice. And uh, as second to Nimrod, he must have had been able to have done something, but he didn't. And Abraham forgave him and said, come with me. Let's leave. Let's, we, we've got to get out of here. Come with me. Uh, boy, that that's pretty remarkable for uh, a man who has been betrayed like that 
to forgive his father and to ask him to leave with him. For sure. Quite amazing. Uh, I, I'm not sure I could be quite so generous as Abraham was. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it would be a, a tough challenge. An Abrahamic test in and of itself, just right there. Right there. Definitely. Yeah, and then uh, there on, on 56, where it talks about that Satan appeared in human form. Isn't that an interesting uh, idea and <laughs> something that happened? I mean, we don't hear too often about that, but um, just throwing that out there to you guys. When else has Satan appeared in, in human form and, and how do we know about it? What page did you say that was on? I. Um, that's on page 56, and it's right in the first paragraph of the section, Abram, Abram. And it's according to Jewish tradition. So, I mean, we we assume that, that that's true, but... It, okay, yes. Jewish tradition tells that Satan appeared, appearing in human form and urging Abraham to save himself by bowing down and worshiping to Nimrod. Mm-hmm. It sounds yeah. just like Satan. I mean, he's done it before. <laughs> sure. It wouldn't be a surprise if, if it happened to Abraham. But yeah, I, that, that's, that's quite an interesting topic of, of Satan appearing in human form. Many don't believe that that can actually happen. And, and yet we have scriptures and, and our endowment that, that tell us otherwise and, and how to, to prepare for, for such encounters and, and things. Um, but yeah, I, I found that very interesting as... As told here in this sacrifice. Yeah, that is. And even, even Abraham's mother urging her son to bow down to Nimrod so that he could save himself. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. Abraham's mother said to him, may God whom you serve, may the God whom you serve save you. And he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. for sure. It makes me wonder about the Antichrist, the miracle worker, the uh, charismatic, the the all-encompassing, the worldwide conquering, you know, who is it? Who is it really? <laughs> you know? When we actually see the Antichrist, I'm going to be like, oh, man, <laughs> I knew you were coming, but I didn't realize you were this crazy. Yeah. Do you think... Do you think that, well, if Satan can come in human form, uh, I don't know what the, you know, if there's laws of physics or laws that God has put on Satan that he can't do it for a long period. But if he did it then, I have actually wondered if Satan would come in the last days and, and be the Antichrist because basically Satan is antichrist, you know, and put on human form and do all these miraculous miracles, you know? Yeah. It's a there very scripture about that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, am not I sure. wish I was super smart and knew all this stuff. <laughs> no, I just want like a download to see what everybody else thinks and, and just put it in my brain. Yeah. I, I haven't had time to really go through different scriptures and stuff on that to, to see if it would be, him necessarily in in person in uh like actual satan or or if it's another person i have always 
you know, the, he's going to perform all these incredible miracles and, and deceive so many, even the very elect, right? Yeah. Is that right? Maybe they won't be deceived by him, but in the last days, the very elect will be deceived by something. Mm -hmm. Well, that they could be deceived. Hopefully, hopefully they're not, but where it possible, it says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it says Satan is appearing in human form. That means that he um, took the form. So when you would look at him, he would look human. But we know that Satan doesn't have a body and he's not going to have one. Now, if the person who is the Antichrist, I suppose, could allow Satan to take possession of his body and and, and do that. Or, yeah. this, or Satan could make a deal with the Antichrist. Hey, I'm going to give you all this power yeah. and you can say these things and I will be the one who will be making them happen. Um, but I don't think that we will actually see um, Satan have a body that people would be able to touch and interact with. That doesn't mean he wouldn't have something that would look like a really good hologram. Yeah. You know, or he couldn't, um, he could, he could yeah, he could, he could possess a body that's already here, or I'm sure he could um, make a, a, a good digital facsimile. Right. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why we are taught how to determine whether spirits are good or evil in the doctrine of covenants, right? How do you identify? Because, you know, an evil spirit is not going to have a body. They're not going to be able to shake your hand, but they're going to try. Right. Right. Whereas a good yeah. one, a good one, if they're not a resurrected being knows that they wouldn't be able to, so they won't try. Yeah. So they I'm won't a, try to um, deceive you. Yeah. That's where we're supposed to ask if we can shake their hand. Right. And so, you know, you have all of those things. And then, you know, in the temple, we learn how to kick it up one more notch, right? So, um, you know, you have all of those things. But I think it's also very interesting how in the temple, we we learn um, that, you know, Satan is just hanging out with Adam and Eve, right? And they don't realize he's there. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that who he is. He's just hanging out, chilling, having a good old time, you know, trying to teach them stuff, trying to whisper things in their ears, trying to get them to do this, that, or the other. And it's not until um, he's cast out that the real learning takes place. And I think mm -hmm. we can take some parallels from that into our lives as well. And, uh, you know, we learn how to do that as well. Um, but I, I think he could, I think Satan could appear in a human form, but not have physical touch um mm -hmm. unless he's actually possessing someone yeah yeah very interesting insights i love it <laughs> um let's see where to go next we have a lot of different i have i have a little comment or um uh cameron you said it'll be interesting to see this antichrist well aren't you kind of hoping we're we're tucked away in some safe place <laughs> before that comes about <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to be, okay. I, we'll have to be <laughs> yeah because i mean when the antichrist is ruling there there's some major stuff that hits the fan right i mean we yeah. have, have got uh, the worst things ever happening during that time and yeah, it, it would be great to, to be called out. And, and that's a, 
kind of a segue into the next section we want to talk about and being called out. But um, yeah, I mean, we know that the, the Antichrist is, is going to, to win favor with lots of people that um, many can can be deceived by him, that he'll have powers to call down heaven. He'll probably drain the swamp and, and, and draw many people that way into eradicating evil so that he can can be the, the evil person. And I mean, there's, the, there's a lot of stuff. But um, yeah, let's let's transition into the call out. So on page 62, uh, I, I find all of this very interesting. So uh, quoting John Taylor's statement here, just kind of a, a dialogue, says, um, I fancy I see some of his neighbors coming to him and saying, Abraham, where are you going? Oh, says he, I do not know. You do not know? No. Well, who told you to go? The Lord. And you do not know where you're going? Oh, no, says he, I'm going to the land that he will show me. I believe in God and therefore I am starting. And so um, this is kind of a characteristic of Abraham and of his life, of, of the Abrahamic tests, that um, to be Abraham's seed, we are to be somewhat of a nomadic people, for lack of a better word. The, the, the lek leka there on, on page 63 and everything, um, the idea of making clean breaks away from traditions and idolatry, previous ways of life and environments, in order to better serve in a new place, um, to, to build up the kingdom in, in different ways and at different times. Um, I, I find that that's a, a very interesting principle. We do know uh, as Awake Saints uh, about the call out that will happen, but why do you think that this principle of uh, moving, why, why does God require an actual movement or a transplanting, if you will, to a new place often of um, the covenant people. Why, why is that part of uh, Abraham's test, his uh, legacy, I guess you would say? I think many times we find ourselves um, in living a life of habits you know, we react a certain way to certain stimuli, we go certain places, we say certain things, we see certain people, we do things not necessarily because we're not making a choice every day, but just because that's habit or that's comfortable or that's whatever. And there's really no growth when you're comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And so he says, get you out and move. Um, I, I think we're actually seeing some of this take place in the world right now. There are members of the church all over the place who are being told, pack up and move. That happened with us five years ago. Pack up and move. You know, I was like, Lord, where should I go to look for work? Because I just lost my job. And the answer came, go to Lehigh, Utah. And I was like, really? Um, can you check again? Can you? We lived in Ohio. I'd never lived any farther west than Ohio. I was definitely a mission field person, right? And, and he's like, this is where you need to go. But there are a lot of things that we went through in the process of that move. And a lot of things that we've gone through since we've been here, they have fundamentally changed who we are. Why? Because it forced us to make some choices. We had to make choices. And everything coming up in the future, everybody's got to make a choice. There will be no sitting on the fence. There's not going to be any lukewarm. It's either going to be, you're going to be for Christ or you're going to be for the Antichrist. Which one? You know, so you were asking earlier, 
do you think we're going to get called out before, you know, we have to deal with the Antichrist? I don't know, because that then would remove from us that opportunity to truly make that choice. Who are we going to choose? Oh, no, I think we're already choosing. I, I think there is a separation already happening, happening. And there are those who are spiritually awake who are fleeing Zion right now, you know, mm-hmm. um, in a spiritual sense. I, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And I see that all the time. I really am seeing that division. I'm seeing it online. I'm seeing it in comments. I'm seeing it in words I used to live in, you know, when people, I, I see it in neighborhoods. I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to get worse. And I think there's going to be more of that one away in a way. And I'm wondering if maybe there's a, there's a group of us, you know, right now we're all choosing Christ, right? But when the persecution is hot and heavy, are there going to still be people who will fall away? And then once we get to a certain point where we make that choice, then maybe we'll have that call out, right? And it will seem like nothing happens. And then maybe we'll have a whole nother group that is going to filter away because they're going to go, hey, nothing's happened. I'm going home to my comfy bed, (laughs) right? Or uh, to my warm house or whatever. You know, I I can see all these levels of the winnowing away of the people. And I just think that's all the more important that we... um, that we make that conscious choice every day to be on Christ's side mm-hmm. and on everything because there's so many little choices where we can choose the right or get sucked into the things of the world. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I have a comment about that too. The, um, you know, the Israelites, all of all of these people that God has asked to leave, they're leaving um, a place that becomes corrupt, and then they have to go through a wilderness time period, right? And even you know, um, so Lehi's family, they're in the wilderness for a while, and then even after they get to the promised land, and um, Laman and Lemuel are so abusive that the Lord finally says, "Okay, Nephi." you got to leave again. And it's not Laman and Lemuel that have to leave, but Nephi and his family, they have to go back into a wilderness again and start over. And so it's part of this wilderness experience is the refinement, the pioneers, you know, and I, I've always wondered, okay, we actually have nowhere to go because every place on this planet is now pretty much already established, right? There is governments and it's not like we're gonna go somewhere and start fresh in a safety way until the Lord comes when things are wiped out and we get a new form of government. But um, yes, there is something really sacred about that moving into the wilderness and that refining part, you know, so. Um, and that's where we become acquainted with God generally, or the people we're supposed to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I love it. Um, so yeah, we have that, that lick, lick, uh, term here. So we have the chesed from chapter one that, that keeps getting repeated throughout here. And then we have the lick, Um, there's going to be a a lot of that, uh, as, 
Abram progresses and, and makes more uh, advanced covenants with the Lord, um, there, there's usually a separating um, that happens, clean breaks from the traditions and previous way of life. Um, uh, something that comes to mind is, um, uh, I believe it's Elder Holland, um, telling a, a story of a young man that that left a town and came back and they wouldn't let him repent. They, they always, you know, oh, that's the kid that did this kind of a thing. And, and so he eventually fell back into uh, some of his old ways and stuff. It, well, if I'm going to be remembered for that, I might as well be that kind of a thing. Um, we have to be able to, to let people repent. And um, sometimes there, there is that separating that, that has to happen in order to remove ourselves from the previous way of life. Um, you know, with, with addicts or, or anything, sometimes you have to make clean cuts from the, the previous friends, associates, uh, lifestyles, um, things so that we can, can start a, a new life. Um, in our previous group, it was interesting. Um, a lady was, was talking about how she doesn't really feel, uh, very connected with the, the call out principle and stuff, but, um, talking through her story and everything, uh, she was, um, uh, basically moving home to, to run the family farm kind of a thing. And, um, she had to leave her previous, uh, well-built stake and, and things. She had seen it grow. It was uh, divided many times into new wards and, and things. And then this new place is just a branch that's just struggling. And so sometimes we have um, the, the call out in different ways. We might experience it as a, uh, a complete call out. And, and sometimes we might experience it as, as a transplant. Um, let me, where is that plant part here in this chapter? I think it's 16. Cameron, will you just, uh reiterate what lekleka means i uh-huh yes so on page 63 um kind of just underneath the middle there um it's an emphatic double imperative rendered by some translations as leave and go uh, get up and get going it's the idea of separating making clean breaks from traditions previous ways of life environments associations experiences and, and so forth Okay, if I could just make a comment for a second. What you're talking about was so obvious to us when we, we served our mission on the Navajo reservation. And when we were there, the very first Sunday we had, uh, and it was a full ward. We had a full ward there, 400 members. And the very first Sunday we were there, they said, oh, everybody came to see who the new missionaries were. And we had 27 people there. Oh, yeah. And it was a pretty sick feeling. We had a lot of work to do. And we, we were proselyting and we proselyted and baptized. But um, that was an experience that I'll never forget because there was so much difference from what we were used to. And I think we could, there's a lot of different ways we can have those, those call outs. And we may also be responsible for helping others who are called out to with the things that they need. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it, it's not like a, a full-on call-out as, uh, you know, we receive the, the announcement by our stake president and grab your food storage, go. Sometimes it, it is over time. Um, like Nancy was saying, you know, it was a few years ago that they were uh, inspired to move and, and go. Sometimes it's a multiple time experience. You're called to move and then move again and, and move after that, no. um, wherever you need to go. Sometimes it's a transplanting. Sometimes, um, it, sometimes it was your forefathers that were called out and you're already in the spot that you need to be in order to, um, to be be a safe place for those that are escaping and getting called out from their locations. It happens in lots of different ways, but the important thing to note is that it's always part of um, a part of Abraham, a part of um, his uh, legacy and mission and, and everything. On 66, it talks about that. Um, perpetual migration was one of the 10 trials of Abraham, notes Hugh Nibley. Um, those 10 trials of Abraham is, is very interesting to study that those are, it wasn't just a, a one-time test of uh, sacrificing his son, Isaac. It, it, it came in many different ways for many different blessings. Each test in its own unique way provides a blessing that we need in our life to, to strengthen and, and grow us into who we need to become. And that is to become a Zion people. Um, as a new plant. And here on 64, it talks about why that that's important. Um, toward the top, it is um, the section called Get Thee Out. And it says that Zion is not made by reforming corrupt and apostate institutions. It is a plant of pure new growth, beginning with pure prayer, uh, beginning with a pure prayerful lad, like the young Abraham, or later like his descendants, young Joseph Smith. And so this is a, an important principle that we cannot just take a corrupt environment and, and just tweak it until it gets right. Um, Zion is about a new growth, a new beginning, pure. It, it can't be built upon uh, old principles and, 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 apostate things. So um, I know that this was a, a topic thrown out there on, on Moss's group and stuff a, a lot with idolatry and traditions and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, one of the, the questions that, that sparked my um, brain going was, well, just like uh, God can do anything. So he can, uh, you know, if an altar has been corrupted by pagan sacrifices, it doesn't mean that you can't just rededicate it and and serve it again but that's never been the the way that the lord works once it's corrupted by satan it has to be built new you have to tear down completely destroy the thing that was corrupted by satan and build fresh it, it's never about reforming that's not how god works with zion zion is always a plant of pure new growth and um Last time, I don't remember which classes I, I talked about it in and stuff, but in chapter one on page 33, um, he also talks about a plant. So um, that's an interesting study if anybody wants to do that on, on the side time. But comparing page 64 with page 33, the, the idea of plants and becoming a, a new plant, uh, new growth in Christ. And, and that's a huge principle of Zion. Uh, I think that that's a a fun journey to, to go on in your personal studies, if you'd like to. 
This week's Come Follow Me with Doctrine and Covenants 2, um, if you read that, it also talks about planting in our hearts, the promises made to the fathers, which are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's an interesting thing to go and look up the verb plant in the 1838 dictionary, right? Or 1828 Webster dictionary um, and, and read all the definitions and think about how all those ways can affect or you know how, how they all work with us and the promises and the the temple and the gospel and everything to plant in our hearts and it's it's uh, very interesting i am going to do that i haven't thought to look up that that word plant before i mean because we think we know what plant means right uh-huh we, we know what it means but every once in a while it's good to look at look up those words and go yeah it does it means this and this and this. oh mm -hmm. yeah in, and and to look at it in that in that context mm -hmm. yeah thank you i'm, I'm definitely going to do that <clears throat> um so let's transition into sarai so we have um Lots of interesting insights into her in this chapter, uh, getting uh, introduced into who she really is and um, the uh, possible uh, sympathy and support long before the marriage to, to Abraham. Uh, her name means princess or queen. And on the next page, we find out another name for her, which is Iska. Um, I had never heard that before this chapter. And so if we compare Sarai to Iska, we have princess and queen, from, uh, from Sarai, which is a kind of political context, Excuse right? Me, Cameron? Yeah, for sure. Hey, will you please just tell, um, can you tell the, like, a number of, the, no, I'm going along on the electronic and that'll help easy. Oh yeah, Do for you sure. Have that so available? It, um, Sarai oh. the princess, and um, we're looking around uh, footnote sixty-eight ish. Um, it's right in there. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so the second paragraph is where it talks about Sarai, and then the one, two, three, in the third paragraph is where it talks about Iska, and so the. Uh, Sarai, meaning princess or queen in kind of a political um, connotation versus Iska, which is a prophetess or seer, uh, a very ecclesiastical context. And don't we see the same parallels when we take on the Abrahamic covenant in our endowment, kings and queens, priests and priestesses? We, we're not only just political or ecclesiastical, we're, we're a mix of both, um, just as our 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 forefathers here, Abraham and Sarah, were. Uh, I thought that that was so interesting. I, I've never ever heard of her other name, Iska, before, and and how that really dives into to how uh, a virtuous woman she was. And here it uh, uh, defines virtuous woman: uh, a valor, uh, valor, capable or accomplished woman. Like she was just so amazing. We, we don't have a lot of women in the scriptures by name and much less uh, an explanation or description of their characteristics. But Sarah is such a key figure and a type for the church 
um, that it's important to study her and, and develop those qualities and characteristics that, that Sarah uh, Iska is um, so that we as a church can be prepared for the, the bridegroom when he comes. Um, it's interesting that um, we have the, the issue of, of infertility here described in the next section, get thee out on page 61, uh, footnote uh, 89-ish, where um, to this day, infertility can be a unique trial whose um, depth seems to be fathomed only by those who experience it. And, um, you know, we, we experience that a lot in these days. Um, and it's not by just every uh, woman, but often the, the faithful are, are tried with that Abrahamic test or, or that, um, how would you describe that, Sariaic test um, to um, want that so bad. And, um, and there's literally nowhere else you can turn except to God to, to grant blessings. Often that's the, the pattern in this chapter and in this book about Abraham, that it, it's what drives us to our knees with such earnest pleadings of things that we cannot possibly escape by ourselves that, that really bring down the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, of Christ, into our lives. Um, I, I find those very, very poignant moments um, when when we talk about Abraham and Sarah and, and that specific trial to bring forth posterity into this world, because um, they, were, they were promised it multiple times. And so their faith in, in the promises of God, they must have wondered so many multiple times, what have I done to offend God that he won't fulfill his promises in that specific manner? All they wanted was to, to bring more people into this world. And, and what better parents could you have than Abraham and Sarah? Why weren't they blessed with multiple children right off the bat? They could have had even greater posterity. But for some reason, this is a common theme, a common test that the Lord um, gives to his most faithful servants. Uh, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, they all dealt with the same things. And they all, just like it talked about in, in previous chapters, um, it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I would extend that it's the God of, of Sarah, the God of Rachel, the God of Rebecca, that they all had to come to him in, in the same way. Um, that, that through those Abrahamic tests, they, they learned to grow and um, in ways that they, they probably wouldn't if, if things were given at all easier in their lives. Um, yeah, there, there's so much to, to say and, and talk about on that. Any comments and, and ideas? Cameron, this is kind of going back just a little bit, but combining this as well. I think that, I mean, it talks about Sarah and Abraham trying to build Zion, um, you know, with it, they had in their hearts and then together as a family. And then obviously they did a lot more than that. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to what Nancy was saying earlier that we live our life and habits and what we're used to and things. And I think to establish a Zion in our hearts and our homes and our lives, it has to be very intentional. We can't just go throughout our days, just doing whatever and letting things come at us, but we have to be really intentional to, to be able to build Zion. And ironically, I was actually thinking about that earlier today and how it's so easy for time just to fly by 
and just to be doing what you're doing and not necessarily, I mean, even though we're reading our scriptures, we're saying prayer, but sometimes, you know, gaps of time throughout the day go by where we're not really intentional about what's happening or what we're doing. And um, I just think we have to become increasingly intentional in our daily lives so we can continue to better establish Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Great insight. Um, let's see, I have to pay attention to chat. I missed some chats last time. Um, but here, uh, Jacob was is talking. Um, it's a bit off topic, but the parallel of Abraham we're studying is also incredibly similar to that of Abraham Clark, who was the signer of the Declaration of Independence. I, ha- I like zero knowledge of that. I, I'm excited to, to look at that link and, and study Abraham Clark. Um, that, that's such a fun link. Thank you. Um, so is anyone else confused yet in the book with all of the different references to the, the Mishnah, the Midrash, the, the Talmud and the Zohar, <laughs> that the, they, they throw out lots of, uh, interesting things. So, um, I want to do another screen share real quick of, uh, and this is my own, uh, opinion research kind of thing, but maybe it's helpful for people and maybe I might be, um, wrong on, on some of it, but this is how I understand it. Um, so we have the Tanaka, which is the, basically our old Testament. It is comprised of the Torah, the Nevaim and the Ketuvim. The Torah is the, the first five books of Moses. It's the written law. The, the Nevaim is the prophets like Isaiah and, and, and so forth. And then the Ketuvim is the, the poetic writings, so Psalms and Proverbs, uh, Job, all of those things. And that's all comprised within the Tanaka. The Zohar is the, the mysteries uh, of the kingdom. So that would be uh, kind of like our sealed portion of the scriptures. Uh, the things that uh, are not available um, to those except that they might be endowed um, in, in the temples. And so then we have the Talmud which is uh, comprised in two parts, um, the Mishnah and the Jamara. The, the Mishnah is the oral law, and it's, I mean, not a perfect example, but it's kind of like our uh, declaration, our constitution, the things that um, were orally transmitted at first, and they're interpreting uh, God's will for, for a people. Um, uh, we have to keep in mind that, you know, Jews did not have a separate political system. It was all a theocracy, right? And so the, the prophet was creating that, that law for um, the, the people as well. And then the Jamara is kind of the practical commentary um, uh, written by, by great people, but they, they weren't necessarily prophets speaking, thus saith the Lord, oracles kind of a thing, um, but very good information and insights and, and changes to, to policy and practices throughout time. It's kind of like our modern ensign. And then the Midrash is kind of a separate uh, thing in and of itself. It's kind of like our institute manuals, very heavily scripture-based, uh, a, a lot written by the scribes, the, the people who just really understood the scriptures and were trying to expound the, the teachings to the people. So that's kind of a, a rough outline, but you know uh, that's how I understand it. I might totally be wrong. I've never dove full on into the Mishnah, Jamara, and Midrash uh, as, as much as I would like to. I, 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 I dabble here and there, but um, just as it's uh, brought up in footnotes and, and things. But um, hopefully that's helpful as we as he quotes lots of different things all the time. Um, kind of keep in mind that I'll, I'll post that picture on, on the website as well so that 
uh, you can can look at it and refer to it. Um, and if anything's wrong on it, let me know. I, I would love to, to correct it and, and make it a, a good document there. Um, yeah, so we're actually finishing on a pretty good time. Any final comments, insights, things that you'd like to uh, leave on a, on a good note with your testimony with on, on this week before we disband? Yeah, Cameron, this is Elle. There was a sister that talked about mindfulness, I think. Is that what she said? Did she say mindfulness? I didn't catch you said that. Um, yeah, I forget who it was. She just said oh, that and I didn't. It was Jeannie. Jeannie? Yeah, um, just living purposefully and like just paying attention to what we're uh -huh. doing and accomplishing and not just living in the habit and I guess okay. trying to live more mindfully more in the moment. That totally makes sense. Yeah, because I remember a quote that stuck out to me from uh, Elder Uchtdorf from maybe two years ago, maybe a year ago. It said discipleship is not about doing things perfectly. It's about doing things intentionally. And I liked part of the book that we didn't discuss. It said, um, Abraham did not wait for God to come to him. He sought diligently through prayer and obedience, learning to learn the will of God. It said he did not pursue fame or fortune, but he feverishly, he pursued righteousness and its rewards, happiness, peace, rest, and blessings, which are all predicated uh, on obedience and righteousness. In other words, he sought the kingdom of God, even Zion. And so I thought it's kind of about being mindful about what we're doing and not just going um, like on autopilot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that's a good, good thing to be mindful of what we're doing daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, that brings to mind something that you posted on the, on the website as well. Sometimes we're, we're such good hearers of the word, but uh, sometimes we lack doing um, actually taking all of this stuff in and implementing it into our lives, becoming like Abraham. Because, you know, I, as we're studying this book, um, there's, there's lots of good stuff in there, but unless we actually do the, the works of Abraham, will we be able to, to pull down those blessings into our lives and, and become a Zion people? Um, I think that that's, that's huge. Uh, being mindful and, and doing things intentionally. Um, so as we're closing out, uh, just, thrown out a couple homework assignments if, if people want to do them. Um, chapter three is, is quite an in-depth, fun study. Um, a companion study with it would be Elder Christofferson uh, from, let's see, I didn't copy and paste it from last group. Darn it, I'm going to have to retype those out. Um, so it's Elder Christofferson, Christofferson in June 2001 in the enzyme. And um, he talks about justification versus sanctification. Oh, I know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very good talk. And so he pulls out the, the, the differences and really compares water, spirit, and blood, and the process of purifying, justifying, and sanctifying. And um, he, he draws heavily upon Moses chapter six, verses 59 through 60. And so as you're going through chapter three, look at 
when those three are presented together, water, spirit, blood, justification, sanctification, purification, those are heavy themes in chapter three that will will greatly enrich your, your study and an understanding of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant in your progression and application of the atonement of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think that that's a, a fun one. If you want to take that on, uh, that would be a, a homework. Cameron, what was the, the Moses scripture you said? Moses what? Chapter uh -huh. what? Verse? Moses 6 verses 59 through 60. Thank I mean, you. all of Moses 6, but those are the, the two verses that really specify into it. And then um, as we're going through chapter 3, another kind of homework thing would be to really pull out and, and look for the wording of the Abrahamic covenant throughout chapter 3. It, it's, it's pretty profound in there. Um, so look for the promises. Any promises that we make to God or any promises that God makes to us. Look at Look for those and their wording, their phrases in and throughout chapter three. Um, that's a, another kind of side assignment. And we'll start next class time really diving into those two things, uh, discussing Christofferson's talk and the Abrahamic covenant phrases uh, before we really head into the, the actual things of chapter three. Um, but yeah, it, it's been fun. I, I've enjoyed all of your insights and, and stuff. It's, it's interesting how the different groups are, are wildly different. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's mom. I, I just noticed that Jacob wrote in the chat, the name Enzyme has been retired. So in your chart, you might want to just replace oh, yeah. <laughs> a, picture, a picture of the Leona instead. <laughs> President Nelson keeps changing things on me. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I'll change that to Leona. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, any other final comments? We'll, we'll kind of disband from there. So good. <laughs> All right. I just had a quick question. This is totally off topic, but good. I just noticed that that Facebook group is it's not been unarchived. It, am I the only one or is it... Is it working for, for anybody else? Group? Yeah. Yeah. So I talked to Masa and, and he's not planning on, on archiving it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, who knows if it'll actually be deleted eventually, but um, if you want to pull anything off of there, then it'd be a good time to do what it. Is, what does that mean, unarchived? And how do you pull things off? I don't, I don't get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a group creator can archive a group, meaning that people can still see it, but they can't contribute or anything to it. So unarchiving means that you just pull it back into full function where people can start commenting and participating. And so um, if you go through any past conversations or the files that you might have uploaded, PDFs and stuff, you can go ahead and download those, screenshot those and things. But um, I don't know if he's going to delete it or not. He didn't say, but um, I, I referenced him to our new site if if he wanted to join it or whatever. He just gave me a thumbs up, but he said he wasn't planning on on doing anything with the Facebook group anymore. He's kind of tired of moderating it and not being able to have enough personal time um, with his family and stuff without having to really... He, he calls it like kick out all of the wolves <laughs> that, that come. So I, you know, there's, there's a lot of people on there that, that kind of start some, some weird fights and things. And so he's, he's just kind of done with it. 
So the website that you talked about, that's kind of where we will could end up having chats and does it work like kind of like emails back and forth? Uh -huh, yeah, so the, the website was created as a backup plan if Facebook does shut down, if religious groups are targeted kind of a thing. Um, it, it looks and, and feels a lot like Facebook so that there's the news feed, there's different groups that you can join and, and things like that. Um, there is a, a private email function in there that you can use um, to just private message one another. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of people aren't really actively posting on it because they're mostly on Jody's uh, A Place of Refuge Facebook page and, and actively participating there. And, and I totally get it. You know, uh, a lot of people aren't being prompted to, to leave Facebook altogether, uh, but some are. And so I wanted to create this now so that it could be a place where we can continue posting and, and, and gathering. And then if things do shut down that we already have this established and, and stuff, because you know, if, if all of a sudden Facebook did just shut off completely, if you aren't signed up for the website, you might have trouble finding it again if you didn't have my email or, or something like that, you know. And so I encourage people to get people invited over there so that at least you have an account and it's all set up and ready to go. Um, and then it is a backup source. But, you know, there, there's a few of us, especially Elle. She's, she's really participating heavily in there and, and adding lots of great stuff. Um, but, yeah, there's... It, it it's a fun thing, but it's not like full bore, lots of participation yet. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm working on some content and different things to, to really beef it up, but um, yeah. It's pretty beefed up. I think when it's at full, full, like when everyone moves to that location, I feel excited. I, I have a desire for to go and get a lot of information that's just not quite there yet, but mm -hmm. it's in the making. I, I can see, you know, it's development. I think it's going to really be amazing so i feel excited about it yeah and it's all based off of promptings i mean the lord's just been working and, and stuff and it really is only two weeks old so <laughs> it's still in its baby stages but but we've got like 450 people on there so far so it's 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 ramping up and uh the more that you can participate in links and things and it's a place you can upload documents and handouts and archives and have a great repository for, for all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to self-promote or anything. It's just, it's there, it's, it's available and um, use it at, for, for any kind of groups. If you have another Facebook group that is really trying to leave, I know that the Ezra's Eagle group is, is not willing to move away from Facebook for now, but you know, at, when Facebook does shut down, it <laughs> they'll, Kind of regret that I think. Um, Me, we, it, it's great, but it's not as user friendly. But anyway, yeah, it, there's there's lots of fun stuff out there. But um, the the website's good to go and and ready to, for everybody to sign up. I am going to keep the sign up open because at first I was just kind of worried. I've never developed this kind of a site before, and with this kind of traffic flow, I didn't know if it was going to be able to handle it right off the bat. So I was kind of limiting how many people could sign up and, and stuff, but um, it's full on. Go to the, the site and you can click create an account and, and sign in and, and fully participate for any family or anything, but it is a group for more awake type people because there are, you know, subgroups of translation or 
uh, calling an election, second comforter, kind of things where, you know, that sometimes it, it can be taboo amongst some members of the church that, that aren't awake or, or studied some of those stuff before. So, you know, be careful who you invite, but it, it it's a safe, good place for us to, to congregate. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Any other comments, questions, insights, jokes? <laughs> all right, uh, we'll go ahead and, and disband with that then. Thank you all for participating. It's, it's been a great group. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Have a good Thanks. week, everybody. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye.